Welcome to What It Takes, the recipe for resilience, the podcast that serves up a healthy dose of inspiration and motivation. In this show, we explore the real world experiences of people who have faced tough times and come out on the other side. We'll uncover the secrets to their resilience and find out what it takes to get through adversity and become a better human being in the process. So whether you're looking to weather a storm or just want to learn from others who have been there, join us for each episode where we cook up a nourishing mix of wisdom, encouragement and hope with a few tears and belly laughs along the way. Let's get started. International Women's Day on 8th of March is about celebrating women's achievement raising awareness about discrimination and taking action to drive gender parity. Our guest today is Erin Evans. Erin is one of the most inspiring women I've met. She's the founder and owner of two successful companies, a mum of two and someone who is willing to ask themselves the hard questions and face any challenge head on. As you'll hear, Erin's journey has not been an easy one. And as a female in a male-dominated industry, she has had to claim her seat at the table. Erin wanted to share her story to help give women the courage to step on the field, to sit at the table, to have a voice in the world. But you don't have to be a female business owner or even a female to benefit from Erin's story. Her journey and self-discovery is guaranteed to help you understand what it takes to succeed in life as a human being. Quick warning, this episode and any advice shared is not intended to replace any medical advice you may have been given. Erin, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. My main question, first of all, is did you cycle in yeah. today? <laughs> Absolutely, I cycled. Don't you see my uh, tap dance on my, <laughs> my shoes? No, I did not. I took a cab today. <laughs> so we've had a joke about this. There's this acronym that's used to describe men who ride bikes, uh, middle-aged men in Lycra. And in a conversation recently, you came up with the, the female version. Can you tell us what that is? Yeah, so I was challenged because, of course, there wasn't anything. It wasn't mammals. It was, okay, well, what can we do for females? And so I thought and thought and thought about it, and I decided on mums in Lycra killing it, which is milky. Milky. <laughs> and the, I love that. And the irony of that is is you're actually you're a mum of two and you are currently in the early stages of your second baby so. I sure am and so I am full of milk all the time <laughs> uh yes so milky it certainly works on multiple fronts at this does stage. it work on the bike that's the question oh it is a pain I'm telling you what those long rides I'm kind of like logistically you have to think about that you're like okay yeah. when do I leave and how does that work and yeah it's a, it's a whole other level that so. wonderful <laughs> so it's a great visual <laughs> <laughs> now you may i don't know if, we, if i've shared this with you before i i was raised by two two women I, i've got a father still in the world and he was a big part of my life my parents separated when i was 12 and my mum and her mum so my grandmother took over the full responsibility of parenting myself and my three brothers very boisterous boys so for me being raised by two very powerful confident women um it's, it was just my norm that that's what women did that's what in terms of they are powerful they're confident and and they can they help raise 
men and boys into be men and I guess because of that my awareness in the world is that women are incredible and I've always genuinely felt that because of these incredible female role models I had in my life very early on and and so it still surprises me that we live in a world especially now I'm a father of a daughter as well where there there is uh, a, a huge issue still with with the divide and how we see the differences between male and females, especially in, in the world of work. And so I was so pleased when you were willing to share your experiences and your journey and, and this idea of claiming your seat at the table. Now, many people listening may not have, have heard you um, before or know about your journey. If you were, one of the questions I'd like to start with, if you were to summarise your journey up to this point in one word... Oh, gosh. One word. I didn't say today was going to be easy. (laughs) What one word would that be? Growth. Growth. Yeah. So with that word in your mind, growth, can Mm. you just give us a a quick rundown rundown on your journey up to this point and and maybe focus on a couple of the key events that you feel have have really anchored you to that word growth? Yeah. Um, So, of course... I sound a little bit confused, my accent, so I stress that first. I'm Canadian born. Um, I call it Australian adoptee. <laughs> I've been here for 15, just uh, just under 15 years. And um, prior to arriving in Australia, I ran a franchise, which is a painting and home renovations franchise, which is very random and it's a whole other life that it feels like a lifetime ago. But coming to Australia, I knew I loved business. I was very involved in sales and people leadership and growth and development of humans effectively through their own life cycles. And I came here and landed, as we most do, in recruitment. And so I was snapped up by one of the larger recruitment agencies. They said, oh, you'd be great. Business development, you'd be. And I kind of went, no, 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 I don't want recruitment. I I want to do sales. Like, and they looked at me like, oh, she's a newbie. She has no idea. And look, I, I genuinely at that stage didn't realize how much sales and people engagement and all of that was involved in recruitment. So I got roped in, um, arm twisted very much to get into technology recruitment because all I saw were men on the floor. You know, you'd, you'd go into the floor of the technology team and then you'd go upstairs to HR and finance and you're like, I'll be upstairs, I think. That's my position, isn't it? And they're like, no, 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 no. You're, you're, you're definitely going downstairs to the guys. And I was really, really confronted by that because I kind of went, well, there's no other women. It's it's heavily male-dominated. Where's my where's my leadership? Where's my, where's my place in that? And so I fought it for a little while and I finally was convinced because of my science background. So I had done science university and come through sort of pre-med and, and kinesiology is what they call it back there. Um and got into that recruitment world um, after sort of figuring out where I fit. There was so much growth in that. You know, I didn't know what superannuation was. I didn't know what Commonwealth Bank was. (laughs) I knew one person in this country, and that was my now husband. Why I landed in Australia, I followed him across. And so I was starting from below scratch at that stage. And I think the biggest hurdle, I, I remember coming home, for the first number of weeks, not only having to learn a completely new um, job, which had a huge responsibility, we're changing lives and we're impacting people's trajectories, but also the heck is recruitment and what is it, what is tech? Like what is development languages and what is infrastructure and what is business intelligence? Like 
all of these new languages that were thrown at me. And I'd go home and I remember just sitting there saying to my husband, I am so bad at this. <laughs> Like, I actually feel so far outside my comfort zone. I'm used to being a high achiever. And so there was this huge gap for me. And I thought, okay, well, if I can master this, then I will have earned my place to sit beside these guys. I will have earned my place to have a voice in this environment. And, you know, that was my motivation to grow so that I'd have a place to be. Um, So there was growth there, huge. Then as I got comfortable and kind of, succeeded um, because I had this chip on my shoulder. I was like, no, I am going to be the best in amongst all you men and I will take you. <laughs> I'm highly competitive. And so for me, it was that was pushing and driving me. So I was lucky to be successful in that sort of early run. And then I sort of moved into leadership roles there. I was in charge of the internal sort of recruitment drive and strategy, bringing people in. They're like, great, put this woman in charge of building our tech division. Of course, that makes sense. And so I was doing that um, and then quickly realized having the business background I did, I missed it so much. And I was like, oh, I miss I miss building something, the creativity behind it, the inherent growth that comes with all of that. And so that is when I left that business and with my now business partner, uh, who was actually at the time the guy who hired me and was the one doing the twisting of the arms and going, no, you can do it, you can do it, I believe in you. Um, we decided to go out and start Firesoft People. Um, and so that was in 2012. And, you know, I think... When you start a business, especially when you've got no money, you're literally starting off your own back. And at that stage, I had paid off my student debts and paid off some of the things that, you know, I wanted a car and wanted like you land in Sydney and you want to live. And so knowing that, you know, we had this small office in Lime Street, which is in um, uh, Darling Harbour, right on the water. And knowing that the doors were open only for the period of time that you could afford to keep them open. That was incredible. And you wake up every day and step into that office and go, I'm in charge here. But I don't do this and I don't shake every tree. This whole thing falls down. The whole journey of Firesoft has been a challenge to know my worth and know my value. And this is certainly nothing against my business partner. But he had 22 years 18 to 22, I believe, at that time of experience in recruitment. He had been the managing director of the company that I had just left. He was my boss. He, to his credit, had called that elephant in the room before we started to say, I'm not going to start this business unless we're 50-50. But there was always that inequality in my brain around, do I deserve to be here? And you know, how that played out in a business context was always, it was incredibly challenging Mm. because of course people would look at him and go, oh, who's your PA? Always. I still get emails as his PA. We order a Christmas tree every year and I still get, oh, can you just check with your PA? And I was like, oh my God, they just don't write signatures. Like it's it's hilarious because there is that assumption and there is, you know, anytime we'd sit down in meetings, they would speak with him. They would engage with him. I would be there. Could you take this note? Could you follow up on that? So it was really interesting. Big assumptions people were making. Mm -hmm. So just to recap then, you came to Australia, Canadian born, you've been here 15 years, you ran a franchise back in Canada, but then you arrived here and you jumped into a male dominated industry, which is recruitment, uh, or or at that time (laughs) was Mm -hmm. recruitment. There was no female leadership to kind of draw inspiration or or have kind of as a beacon for yourself. (laughs) Uh, And and no, 
no idea about this thing recruitment you overcame all of that and became so confident in your ability to understand recruitment that you set up a company and and it's interesting that you jumped into business uh, with as you said a male business partner mm-hmm. who was your boss and then you had all these experiences as a result and and so firesoft as you are today mm-hmm. you are still in business with the same Male, the yeah, same guy. Miraculously, uh, we have made it. We're still calling him a male. We give him <laughs> yeah. a name, Danny. His name is Danny. He is, yeah. Yeah. Identified. Yeah. And uh, how have you navigated that? Some of the disparity that you've you've mentioned. You know, let's go to the first time that somebody identified you as a PA rather than actually having your seat at the table as a business owner, as a co-owner. Mm. Can you remember that very first time? Yeah, yeah. Oh, look. Etched in your soul. It, it, uh, completely. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting because I still come up against that in the new iteration of what I do now, probably even more so than I did in the recruitment days. Um, and I can touch on that from the new sort of hat that I'm wearing more um, on a day-to-day basis at the moment in technology and, and in that consulting world. But... I remember sitting at the table and it was Danny and I and it was a media corporation and we'll get into who it was and I remember him just saying oh can you just take some notes we're just going to have a chat and I was like oh, <laughs> yeah and instinctively I opened my book I put, put my pen together and I just started writing you were told. and I literally did as I was told and I kind of thought why do I feel so gross right now and why do I feel so violated and it was that moment of wow, like I'm aware of how this is going on. Like I am, I'm this third party kind of looking in and I'm following this script that I've obviously generationally been programmed to follow. And I walked away from that meeting and I just went, Danny, did you, was that anything weird? Did you get a weird vibe from him? He said, no, what do you mean? And I remember kind of thinking, okay, because that's normal. Mm. He, I mean, he wouldn't have experienced it the way I experienced it. And I would imagine the client probably didn't mean anything by it either. It was these sort of gender normal roles that they were just playing out. <clears throat> and so I did bring it up with him later on after I had processed and after I'd kind of gone through how it made me feel and just generally how I didn't want to show up in that capacity. And I remember Danny being really like, wow, I would never have seen that. And, and I would never have known that that's how you feel. Um, and quite often, I mean, then this happened all the time, especially when we were showing up together. When it was just me, different story. But when it was he and I, there was a lot more eye contact, even going out for lunches, if we're at business lunches, obviously they put the card down and they, they expect he's going to pay. And it, it was always such a giggle because it was like, ah, it's our money too, mate. You know, <laughs> like, you know, it, it's just and. I I'm I don't have the ego around that, but I think I have the feels around doing sort of sort of engaging in conversation to raise awareness for everyone else. Yeah. You know, for me, I, I've learned to define my value. I've learned to figure out who I am, and I've earned in my mind now finally the seat at the table. But in those early days, I was just floundering constantly, wondering, what am I even doing? Am I meant to be here? The imposter syndrome was an absolute beacon every single day. We'll come back to the imposter syndrome because that's getting a lot of airtime in today's society. Mm. And I think it's important we touch on that. You mentioned before about scripts and you had this automatic script that you'd learned or had been genetic. You mentioned you used the language genetically sort of programmed mm-hmm. into you. 
and even the the males that you're mentioning, the the individual in the room, the client side who are eye contacting the other male, giving the the bill for the lunch to the male. What have you done? You, you've said that you've you've worked to you worked to claim your seat at the table. How have you changed? The, what were those scripts, mm-hmm. and how have you changed them? The scripts in my head were always, um, yeah. It, it was this. It was this. Who am I to be? Who am I to do? Who am I to say? Um, and it was always me putting myself sort of on a, a lower tier. I don't know enough. I don't know more than them. I'm not educated enough. I'm not experienced enough. Um, you know, this language, the self-talk that was happening. Um, and a lot of that stuff still at the time was valid. I was young. I was 24 when I started the business, 25, sorry. And so for me, <laughs> you know, I was addressing the fact that I was a good seven to eight years away from even having kids. And all these clients are talking to my business partner who's 10 years older than me about kids. So there was an age. It maybe Definitely. wasn't just the gender. Absolutely factor. not. It was and an it's important to call factor. that. It's really important to call that. Yeah, yeah, totally. And so I think for me, it was just the script and and being aware that that script was there. Um, and I think Danny, um, lucky for me, Danny has a very strong um mother and uh, sort of a mother figure she was always the breadwinner of his home and he always acknowledged the importance of a strong woman and the importance of the equality piece and you know although he still played that gender role quite often it wasn't out of um you know uh, an, uh, an ego angle it was just a non-education angle he didn't realize and so anytime that I did feel that he would come to the table and go yeah cool missed that totally yeah. missed it but here for it yeah. here to talk about it yeah. um yeah. Who am I to be? Who am I to say? Who am I to respond? Mm-hmm. That was that sounds like that was some of the script that's going through your head. Do you still have that stuff come up now? Who am I to be <laughs> here? Who am I to say this? Who am I to respond to this? Does that still come up for you now? So in recruitment world, no. I think I've I've been in that space long enough now to know sort of who I am in that um, environment in that domain. I in my mind have sort of earned the badge um, to speak to experience, to speak to battle wounds, to speak to uh, sort of that leadership lens. And and however, <laughs> this is a very big however, I uh, three years ago set up a company called Intelligent and that is now where I am the CEO and the active sort of player. Um, and we do business intelligence, analytics, AI, machine learning from a consulting um, perspective. So we are going into organizations offering uh, full cycle or life cycle project services. Um, and, and we're going in with a very advisory lens. And again, middle-aged men. <laughs> Funny enough, I'm sitting at these tables and the difference in that domain and, and on that field is that it's a highly, highly technically oriented discussion. And though I have been playing in business intelligence and analytics, and this is how this developed, I've always specialized in that from a recruitment lens. I'm now flipping that and coming in from an advisory lens. And it's a very different conversation uh, and very few females, even more of a problem in that domain. Um, and so I've just kind of upped the dial a little bit <laughs> in terms of the intensity. Um, and I'm constantly, every time I post on LinkedIn, every time I talk publicly, every time I'm sitting down at the table, I am coaching myself through what is my value? Why am I here? 
what are the things that I can add? Because there's a very fine line in this discussion now where I know I'm not technical, I'm not a developer, and I have strategies that I've developed to address that ahead of time and just sort of know that here's my playing field, here's my little bubble of what I can uh, add here. The rest of it I've hired and I've got an incredibly strong team around me who also support women. So, yeah. Okay, so recruitment, you know your stuff. You feel like you, you, if someone was to challenge you on knowledge or how to do something, you, you've got that. And yeah. so there's less intimidation in that environment. Yeah. It's still heavily male-dominated, although it's made leaps and bounds. Oh, look, it definitely has. It's changed considerably. And I think there is a huge focus on you know, equity and gender diversity, and not just gender. I mean, it's diversity across every single yeah. um, sort of ism and for when I started to now, I mean, it's night and day. Um, technology recruitment still has a male bent. We still struggle with our gender balance, even in Firesoft. Um, we're still constantly having to actively sort of pull in uh, women and, and sort of diverse talent mm. for that team. And and yeah, there are some incredible organisations and, and initiatives that are obviously, as you said, both internally and in the wider community that are looking to address uh, address those things in every industry, mm. um, especially recruitment. And so you're in you've got intelligent now, and again, you're back to this situation where there's a knowledge gap, which is mm. then questioning your self worth. Uh, but you mentioned that you're coaching yourself around what is my value, why am I here, what can I add mm -hmm. in in this consulting advisory world with uh, the middle-aged men to use your language again you're a little bit close to middle age <laughs> <Yeah>. now <laughs> i know and i'm, I'm sitting here as a middle-aged man going, oh, thanks uh, <laughs> <laughs> directed at you Matt. yeah thanks <laughs> uh so the strategies you know we're here to talk about the recipe for resilience and you know we've already touched on being aware of the scripts, the stories, the narratives that we tell ourselves uh, about our place in the world, our place in the room, our place at the table. Uh, but also we've touched on how knowledge can play a key part. Once you feel you know a topic or you've earned your stripes, that gives you a bit more swagger, which uh, enables you to step forward a bit more resilience. But you've also touched on this word strategies. Can, can you share with everyone listening what have you been doing? What What is it you do, you find yourself doing consistently that's really helping to claim your seat at the table? I think knowing that I have a clearly defined um, requirement as a CEO of Intelligent, uh, knowing what my actual job is as a founder you know, and, and playing that sort of role for so long, I often wore all the hats because I could. And I knew the recruitment sort of life cycle, I could deliver every ounce of it if I had to. And whereas with Intelligent, I can't, I simply cannot do that. And so I think it's just reminding myself, why am I here? What's the outcome that I'm in charge of? What's the um, value add that I bring that is different to everyone else at the table and just reminding myself to, to play within that sort of bubble um, and to not expect anything else of myself to not you know pretend that I know the 
target state architecture, for example, of a client that we're sitting down doing an assessment with. I don't know what that's going to look like. I have my specialist team doing that. That's what they're there for. And to then master that self-talk and to remember that actually, don't worry, you, you don't need to know that. Um, to constantly play sort of that, um, I suppose, positive self-talk in my head around, actually, I know I've done the, the, the hard yards here. I know I have experienced and learned um, and chosen to grow through the things that have been challenging. So I am armed with, uh, I suppose, mental tenacity. I can be on my toes. I can think critically um, to assess whether or not I can help this client any further. I'm there as that commercial lens. And so I know that Having had experiences where I've had to think on my feet and I've had to be there, I now have the confidence that I can do that. Just reminding myself, what have I done? What have I done? And questioning all this, the talk, is it true? No, often it's bloody not. It's just a narrative that I'm allowing to go circular sort of motion in, in my head. So kind of giving myself a moment to step out of that, questioning it, asking, is it true? And then remembering what I do have. The, Great the summary. Strategy. And... What I took from that is having a clear why as to why you're even there. Why are you even in that room pulling your seat up to that table, which is a metaphor, right, for whatever you're trying to strive to achieve. Mm -hmm. and, and you've talked about positive self-talk, questioning whether it's valid, whether the, the narrative is justified, whether the evidence <laughs> stacks up. Totally. Um, and I love the language around mental tenacity. Mm. If you were talking to somebody younger maybe your your 25 year old self or equivalent to so some yeah. uh, young women who are aspiring to achieve great things in any field to to solve a problem to to just be the best versions of themselves how would you describe mental tenacity in the way you just used it i think it's the ability to not only self-assess the current state. So understand all the filters and all the things that are playing on the current state and to really be able to pick that apart to overcome or sort of uh, succeed via a challenge based on what is really true. So it's assessing why am I feeling this way? What is it that I'm experiencing why am I feeling that way what are the filters what are my past experiences telling me and then knowing actually I have the skills in my back pocket or if I don't yet I sure as <laughs> heck will I said I wasn't going to swear I sure as heck will by the time I'm through this I to this day I joke with a number of very close friends which I'm you know grateful to have as, as a constant soundboard but we talk about you know, the only way out is through. And we joke about this constantly because we're like, you know, just yesterday, one of them messaged me back and we voice note each other. So this is really helpful as we're running around the city. And one of them said, I wish there was another way. Someone needs to invent another way out other than through. <laughs> <laughs> but ultimately, if you can go through it, that hardens and, and strengthens that muscle, that tenacious muscle within your, your mindset. And Leaning into that adversity only helps mm. as opposed to, you know, leaning back and away from it and shying away. Leaning in. The Dalai Lama has famously said that 
the only path to true happiness is often through sadness, not around it. Absolutely. And, and so I don't know if we can get past that saying the only way is through, especially not with sadness, because we know that if you try and avoid an uncomfortable situation or you know, procrastinate around a task that you really don't like or that's, that's challenging you in, in ways that you're not comfortable with, then you're just delaying, mm. you're pushing, the, you're kicking the tire down the road, the can down the road, whatever. It's uh, an opportunity, yeah. I really think. Yeah. And some of the hardest and most grueling things that I've ever been exposed to, and though they're horrendous in the moment, they're the things that have been fundamental in shaping who I am and allowing me to level up because they just catapult your growth so much more than all the fuzzy, kind, lovely things. Those are the hard ones. Yeah. So just otherwise, a mental tenacity to you is really, it sounds like it comes down to self-awareness, being able to assess the situation, assess yourself in that situation. And it's funny, when, when I talk about self-awareness with people, a lot of people see self-awareness as looking within, mm. but actually a better way to think of it is to actually float outside of the situation, outside of yourself, and almost yeah. look at it from a third-person point of view and look down on the event. Uh, and you can close your eyes and do that and actually go, you know, what can I take from this or, or how what's what's occurring here and, and removing yourself from it without judgment. That's the key mm-hmm. thing because when we apply assessment and self-awareness, sometimes that can be the really critical self-talk that comes in. So from that self-awareness, you then mentioned about being able to regulate mm-hmm. y- your perspective, your position on yourself, on the situation. Yeah. And, and as you said, the only way is through it, Absolutely. is through it. And, we touched on before this idea of imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. How is that playing out for you? And I think this links really well with what we just talked about regarding mental tenacity. So mm-hmm. imposter syndrome, what comes up for you? There's there's lots of dictionary definitions for these sorts of things, but yeah. let's just keep it conversational. What, why does this show up for you? Yeah, I think imposter syndrome, I mean, that traditional term is you know everyone's going to find me out I'm not who they think I am uh you know and and that is I mean I think everybody walks around with an element of that you know everyone kind of goes oh hope they don't like lift the covers and this is all smoke and mirrors and I just feel like if we come to the party and we know that every single person around the table is feeling the same way there can be an authentic open clear communication because there's no facade and and quite often that is what I bring with my CEO hat on in a client environment and people often come back and say it was just so refreshing to deal with you and your team because we've hired very similar people in the way that they bring themselves to the table it's open transparency it's I'm not going to pretend to be anything that I'm not and I think the more that I'm showing up like that and doing it in the way that I feel most aligned and most congruent with who I am, the more that that energy changes the in, the interactions, the way I feel about myself, the way people feel about us, it's congruent. People can feel that. I love that. And what I especially liked is that you said everyone around the table, mm. male or female, Absolutely. female, male, yeah. or, or any other way that people identify for themselves mm-hmm. is we're all feeling a little bit of that impulse. Should I be here? Do I have a right to be Absolutely. here? Uh, and it's the original research was was a study on on women, mm-hmm. um, but I was reading an article the other day that the the researchers didn't intend for it to become what it is, where it's 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 so black and white in oh, really? in its entirety. It's, it's a fascinating read, uh, and I might share it with the show notes. 
the everything we've talked about today what would you say in terms of coming back to your resilience and, and this idea of of how you've become more resilient or you are resilient how much of what makes you resilient do you think was something you were born with versus you've learned throughout your life experiences oh i'm so i'm naturally a very um positive person so i was born with a sunny disposition my parents say um and i'm grateful for that because i do see the glass half full and that is something that i do believe you know I was raised with and whether that's nature or nurture, but that was early formative years and those sort of core um, values that I have. But I also feel like with respect to the more you put yourself in amongst in terms of challenges outside your comfort zone and there's no, um, I suppose there's no better way to strengthen the resilience muscle than to, as you mentioned before, lift yourself out of your body look at yourself from that third party perspective and just watch without judgment, without a way of saying, oh, you shouldn't be doing that. You shouldn't be doing this. You should, and that sucks. And this is hard. And da, da. no, just for what it is. And the more you get comfortable doing that, and this is an NLP tool, which I know you're giggling about. And, and I did NLP early days and it's foundational to how I've operated. And yes, it's, it's evolved, but it, it, it allows me to do these things where I do step out and I kind of just, I watch. And the more and more challenging it gets, the more you learn, the more resilience you build and the more self-awareness and the, the, the sort of tools that you will allow yourself to pull out on a regular basis to come up against anything. And you start to build confidence. And then with confidence comes a little bit more adventure and a little bit more of a dip. And, you know, suddenly people look at you and go, oh, you've got an amazing life. How did you build that? And it's, it's terrifying on a daily bloody basis. Yeah. But... I'm here for it. I think that's what life is about. Wonderful. So NLP, for anyone listening that doesn't know that, is neuro-linguistic programming. Yes, so it's a way... No, no, don't apologise. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a great insight that actually is a mechanism and a tool and a strategy that people can look up and investigate and see if it works for them in terms of how they can manage their thinking and, and programming. Going back to what we talked about before. An incredible summary. And so what would you say as again there's a little bit of advice and this is just if it suits people's circumstances what are two or three of the daily rituals or habits mm -hmm. that you would say you if if all else goes to crap and the <laughs> yeah. day is just a write-off yeah. and everything's going wrong with the kids are screaming and you can't get to the obvious and you yeah. know you're working from home and all the other stuff team are blowing up and clients are upset about <laughs> this so, was like yesterday yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. you know, what are the two or three things that if you just do those things that yeah. you're going to get through the day in in the best way possible what's what's that look like for you yeah look I, and i'm i'm such a creature of habit it's actually embarrassing at times i do the same walk route i do the same ride route yeah, I, yeah. If I if I can get physically active, for me, that's everything. Milky. Milky. Yeah. Get on the milky. <laughs> so if I can do that, get on the bike, get on the road, whatever it might be, into the gym, that's key. Because I, I'm the type of person that just needs to move my body. It just gets my brain cleared. Everything sort of just resets. Then for me, I need to take a step back from the crazy and I need to plan. So I take a good 10 minutes and I will look at the noise 
all of the noise and just make sense of the noise and make a list and categorize based on most important. I always joke with my team, what's the most urgent burning building we need to attack <laughs> today? Because ultimately it is about what's burning the hottest right now and go that way. Um, because there's a million things yelling at you, you know this, kids included. Um, and so kind of chunking that down and compartmentalizing. Once I've done that, then it's just about driving outcomes. I'm the type of person, I am type A, I'm very happy with that now, comfortable in that skin. And I need to achieve some things. So if I don't achieve one or two things in a day, I feel like well, the day was a cluster. Everything's just fallen apart. It's just and you you leave the day with a total mindset of, wow, I failed at that today. And so I think those three things, exercise, chunk it down and actually impact key. Excellent. So we've, you've already said that you think resilience is a bit of both born and learned. Mm. Now, final question uh, around this idea of a recipe for resilience. If you were to cook up uh, a recipe for resilience, a nourishing mix of, say, awareness, habits or skills for being at your best, no matter what adversity, change or growth life throws at you, what are the ingredients? Yeah. So a huge part of it. So two parts I'm going to throw in. Uh is adversity and challenge. You don't develop resilience without it. There is another part for me very sort of importantly is self-assessment and regulation. There is self-awareness. There is grit and tenacity. You know, I don't think you get through without grit and tenacity. There's purpose. There's incredible support metrics. I have literally a team of mental health experts, whether they be friends or, you know, hired um, professional support around me. Um, and I think all of those bits and pieces make a huge sort of dent in what makes up resilience. I don't think it is bounce back ability. I looked it up and I'm like, as if that's what they're calling it. And it's so interesting because, I mean, you don't bounce back. We're not balls. No. <laughs> uh, and this is one of my biggest bugbears. I'm so glad you raised it. I will buy you that coffee after this. Yeah, you know, good. most resilience training or, or coaching that you go through, they talk about resilience as this idea of bouncing back. Like we can go back to the people we were before no. and after, before hardship, you know, and the reality is we don't bounce no. back. Uh, resilience is about learning healthy ways to face hardships, like the things we've talked about today. Uh, get through the challenging situation adversity and become a better version of ourselves in, totally. in the process uh, and yeah. this recipe I love that you started with two parts adversity and and challenge because without that there is no boiling pot to absolutely use the, not the, the, the idea of a rainbows recipe and butterflies there's no yeah, tenacity yeah. or resilience in that and, and the reality is nobody escapes pain fear or suffering it is a matter of time before life will throw a curveball huge curveball at all of us yeah. Uh, and I think today you've helped address a huge curveball that is a lot of work's being done and, and International Women's Day, 8th of March, incredible initiative and you've done a wonderful job today sharing your personal experiences and, and, and what's helped you to claim your seat at the table. So thank you so much and uh, we love... We love the acronym Milky. <laughs> Thank you for having me. And thanks for bringing that up so that everyone can hear about it. No, it's been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me.